0: The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. My name is Rick Westra. I am actually a Southern California native. I grew up in Los Alamitos, um, and I am pastor of Trinity Christian Reformed Church in Artesia. And I have, I've actually preached here before many, many, many years ago. I think it was even before Matt was pastor here, maybe maybe just a little bit before. And I remember one thing about that service is that we were without a piano player and that I actually had to sit at the piano and, and, and play a little bit as, as during the worship time. But I'm also, I'm privileged to know Matt and Marsha. Um, we're part of a group of pastors, you know, Joel Zullen, Andy Park, who you heard last week, we, we meet, we actually met last week. Uh, to encourage one another and pray for one another and uh, appreciate our friendship and and our relationship. Um, And it's my pleasure uh, to to preach the word to you. We've heard it read. Uh, May God uh, bless uh, the preaching of it. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we need your Holy Spirit in order to understand, appreciate, and apply your word. Uh, Speak to us now. Uh, Speak through me, take my words, Lord, give us encouragement, draw us again uh, to your son, Jesus Christ, whom we need more than anything else. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You're in a a book of Colossians, you have the theme of Colossians, it's it's repeated over and over. Uh, Christ is, is preeminent, right? He is the one you need. He is all that you need. All the fullness of God is in him. He's the first. He's supreme. Jesus, 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 like you saying, right? Only Jesus, only Jesus. That's what I need, right? And, and I hope that that message has been clear already through the several messages that you've heard, chapter 1 and chapter 2. Um, but when we get into chapter 2, our passage this morning, we have what is the most uh, in-depth look at what it is that, that Paul seems to be concerned about. Uh, for the believers in uh, Colossae. Uh, verse eight, just kind of by leading up to our topic, he says, see to it that you are not taken captive by a philosophy of empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Paul says, I'm, I'm working for your your benefit, your joy, your satisfaction in Jesus Christ, But I also need to let you know that there are some things you need to watch out for. There are some threats that can interfere with and take away your satisfaction and your joy in Jesus Christ. I want you to be happy in Jesus. I want you to be fulfilled. But you need to watch out for these things. In verse 18... Verse 18, he uses a very interesting word. He says, he says, let no one disqualify you or keep you from gaining the prize. Um, John Calvin translates this as, let no one take the palm out of your hand. Uh, In Greek culture, they would have athletic races, and at the end, you would receive a wreath or a crown or a palm, and that was the prize, and in another place, Philippians 3, Paul speaks of the Christian life as a race, as a prize. You know, I'm pursuing the, Jesus Christ. He's the prize. Philippians 3.14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Right? In the Christian life, there's, there, there's a race. Paul talks about this. And there's a finish line to the race, And the object is to keep following Jesus Christ right to the end, right to the finish line. It's actually pretty surprising that in this passage, he says, let no one disqualify you. Let no one take the prize out of your hand. I don't want anyone to interfere with you and your relationship of trust with Jesus Christ. Because if that happens, right, you lose. The prize is taken You don't finish well. Let no one take the prize from you. Uh, I've, I've called this message, you know, dealing with robbers, right? There are things out there, there are ideas, there are teachings that actually serve to steal the joy and the life that is offered to you and me in Jesus Christ, so and what are they? What are these things? What's this empty philosophy? I, I imagine it's been touched on a little bit in in the prior sermons, but in this section of verses, we actually get the fullest idea, you know, of what it was that they were encountering. So I want to look at, you know, what was it? What might it look like today? And then what what do we do about it? What is the solution? And I'm not gonna go verse by verse this morning, but I'm gonna go more by like trouble, solution, right? Because he goes back and forth between the trouble and the solution. So what was it? What, was the, what were the robbers? What were the things that were, were attempting to steal of their joy and satisfaction in Jesus Christ? If you read and study, you know, there's, there's different opinions, but it boils down to this. There was one part, Judaism, one part, maybe a little bit of, of uh, paganism, ideas about uh, religion, worship, you know, from Greek culture. And it was all mixed together with, with legalism, asceticism, and mysticism. Lots of isms, right? But it really boils down to, okay, it had a Jewish flavor. Many of the first Christians came from a Jewish background. We know that there were Jews living in Colossae, even in that area. Um, And it's customary that, you know, they would also hear about ideas from Greek culture about how to worship and please the gods. But it really took the form of, there are some things you need to do. There are some things you absolutely must observe if you're going to find fullness in God. That's legalism. And there was... The, the other, asceticism. There are absolutely some things you must avoid, you must refrain from, you must not eat or touch or do in order to experience the fullness of God. And you do these things, you do these things, you avoid these things. Why? Well, because there are other experiences, spiritual experiences that you need and that you must have to really experience the fullness of God. That's mysticism. So there are some things you must do some things you must refrain from, and, and there are some experiences, powerful spiritual experiences that you are to, to seek and to have, that will add uh, to your life. Look at verse 16. All right, he says, "Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon." Or a Sabbath. New moon, Sabbath, festival. Here we get the Jewish flavor. Right? Again, imagine these early Christians. They probably had Jewish friends. I said, oh, you 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 claim to have the fullness of God. You claim to have received the full revelation of God in Jesus. You claim to be the people of God. Well, do you keep the Sabbath? Do you keep Passover? Do you keep the festivals, you know, listed in the Old Testament? How can you claim to be full of God when you neglect these very basic things that he has commanded in the Old Testament? Right? Saturday is for the Sabbath. There's also a possibility that Greek culture is, is behind here. I mean, the Greeks, uh, they have their idea about, you know, how do you please God? Well, you need to honor certain days. You need to keep certain festivals you need to do certain ceremonies in order to keep the gods happy. How can you claim to be full of God when you're not observing or keeping these things? No, there's absolutely some things you must do. Verse 18, where right, he says, you are, They are insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels. Right? What is asceticism? That's really going without, it's depriving yourself engaging in severe kind of bodily discipline in order that you might have uh, a deeper spiritual experience. Being hard on your body. Now, part of asceticism is the, is the belief that your body is, is, is bad or it's less than, and you need to somehow train yourself to get in tune with, with the spirit, the spiritual world. And so you're, you're hard on your body. You go without food He says the worship of angels there in verse 18, going on into detail about visions. Now this is a, this is a difficult verse. Uh, Bible scholars wonder just how to understand it. Well, what were they talking about? Angels? Apparently, they were obsessed with angels, but they were saying maybe one of a few things. You know what? Angels are there in the Scripture. Angels were there. You know, Jewish tradition says that they were. Uh, they're helping with the distribution of, of god's law you need the help of angels so why not seek their intercession why not call on angels to help you sure okay you may have jesus but you should also seek the help of angels or maybe they were saying they were they were kind of obsessed with the worship of the angels Oh, that you might be able to worship like the angels worship. And you know what? I was caught up into heaven. I was given this vision. And you know what? I heard the language of the angels. There's a place in Corinthians where I, you know, I speak in the tongue of men and of angels. Oh, you need this heavenly language. You need to be able to worship like the angels worship. Or it could be that just you need this powerful vision. I was caught up to heaven. I experienced the angels, and I heard their praise, and, and wow, you know, okay, your life may be great. You may say you have a full life, but you need this in addition. You've got to have a vision like this. You've got to have an experience like this. You've got to hear the angels praising and worship. I mean, without it, you're just second class, right? So there are some things you must do, some things you must avoid, and an experience, really, that you must seek. Now, the very tricky thing about this, Paul says that these, what they were hearing all had the appearance of wisdom. Sounded very reasonable. It, it made sense. It, it appeared wise. It appeared valuable. You know, observing these things, refraining from these things. Well, yeah, yeah. It, it, it makes sense. And how do you argue with somebody who says, you know what, I had this profound spiritual experience. I, I, I was caught up into heaven. I saw and I heard angels. And, and, and you should have, you know you, you just got to have this experience. And Eugene Peterson in his paraphrase says, you know and when, when it's all delivered with a deep bass voice, right, how, how persuasive it can be to hear somebody talk like this so this is what they were hearing this is what they were running into now were these people in the church uh, there's some question there uh, one person I read said you know actually Paul is really preparing them for what they were going to encounter when they when they went outside the church Now, this is the kinds of things that were being talked about. And it was very easy for you to leave church and to hear other people talking. You know what? There must be something more. I have Jesus, but there must be something more. Do I really have it all? Shouldn't I be observing these things? Shouldn't I be refraining from... That's what they're doing. That's what he says I need. Shouldn't I really be seeking this experience? Mm -hmm. So there's the air of credibility you notice that there's also the spirit of judgment, right? If in, in the text, there's really three commands. Verse 16, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. It's very interesting what happens when someone makes a rule that you're supposed to follow and you're supposed to keep. You, know, you give into legalism. Well, that, that sets up one group of people to be the gatekeepers, right? Hey, you're supposed to do this, and you're not doing this. Right, so someone else is over you. Someone else, I mean, Paul actually says, don't let anyone else become your umpire in these matters. Don't let anyone sit in judgment over you on these matters. This is what happens when you begin to follow the path of legalism. Verse 18, he says, let no one disqualify you on these matters. The other key verb there, you know, again, to take the palm out of your hand, You know, what's so serious about these things? These things threaten your connection to Jesus Christ. If you begin to just thinking about, you know, Christian life in terms of what you can and cannot do, pretty soon you you end up more focused on yourself. You run the risk of becoming prideful. And pride is what will cut you off from Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the only one and the only thing you need that will help you grow spiritually. So these things look good, they look wise, and yet they run the risk of cutting you off from Jesus Christ. Verse 20, he asks, why do you submit to these things? There again is this idea of being under. Don't let anyone be over you in these matters. Don't let anyone sit in judgment on you. Why would you submit to them? They appear wise, but they're actually counterproductive. You know, someone who's an ascetic, they, they appear disciplined. It's like, wow, I'm a marvel at your ability to fast or to go without or go through all this uh, you know, rigorous training for, for spiritual purposes. But what does Paul say at the very end of the passage? He says, they actually are of no use in curbing the indulgence of the flesh. Right, because they tend toward pride. They think, it looks like they're going to help you spiritually, but in the end, they're counterproductive because they don't do anything about your pride. Where do we see these things today? Legalism, asceticism, mysticism. I mean, are there really problems for us? You know, when I looked at this passage, you know, Matt assigned it to me, and I kind of said, oh, Matt, come on. This one is, this one is so tough. I mean, how do you make this, this live and breathe for today? And it's really actually the continuation of what Andy said last week. It's just going more in depth into the nature of the problem. And he's spelling out what's, what's wrong uh, with, with these false teachings. So how do we see these things today? Do you know there are Christians today who insist that you must worship on Saturday? Seventh day at Venice? Probably a lot of good people. But what is the message? Right? You're doing it wrong. You're not observing the Sabbath correctly. Okay, you know, it's wonderful. You're followers of Jesus, but you're here on Sunday. You're on the wrong day. You're doing it wrong. We're supposed to keep the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. At the same time, there are other Christians who have very definite ideas about what you are to do on the Lord's Day. Today is the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, the day in which he rose from the dead, the first day of the week. That's why we're here gathered on a Sunday. But Christian churches, uh, even the Christian Reformed Church, uh, has had very definite ideas about what you're supposed to do on Sunday Sunday. How do you observe properly the Lord's day? Well, you know, a generation or two ago, it was very clear. Number one, you don't work at all. You don't go shopping at all because that makes somebody else work. You don't go out to eat at all. You don't watch TV, and you don't even listen to the radio for the baseball game, right? You're still, and you're quiet. Maybe you read a spiritual book. And you worship twice on Sunday. And if you don't do it just like that and observe the Lord's Day just like that, well then, well, then you're doing it wrong. You're out of step. You don't have the fullness. What about communion? You know, there are discussions about how to properly celebrate communion. You must have unleavened bread and real wine. You know, Wonder Bread and grape juice. What? That is, that's, that's not the real thing. It must be more. You're not observing the ceremony correctly. How about Christmas? Everybody likes a good Christmas Eve service. You have your ideal of what a perfect Christmas Eve service is. You know, someone, there must be someone to sing "Oh Holy Night, right? <laughs> and, and, and at the very end of the service, you know, the lights come down, and we each hold candles, and we stand in a circle, and we sing Silent Night. That's what we do at my church, right? This is the way, but you can't get the idea. This is the way. This, you got to do it this way for a Christmas Eve service. To be correct, you've got to do it this way. And it's got to be, you know, even better if it's at 11 p.m. at night and it, you just hit to midnight, Right? But what are we doing today? Well, we have Christmas Eve service. We have Christmas Eve Eve service, right? We've got to do it tonight, you know. You're not, but the message is the same. You're not observing the ceremony or the commands to the T, and therefore you're missing out. You're not experiencing the fullness. You laugh, right? But how true it is, right? And what happens when you start talking like this? Well, some people are in the right, and they begin looking down on the other people who are doing it wrong, Don't let anyone sit in judgment on you. You know, and we fight this tendency, right? We're good at taking something that could be helpful and making a rule out of it and making it a requirement for everybody else. There are are really two types of legalism. One part of legalism is to take a command of God and to then just try and follow it in your own strength, in your own power, and not rely on Christ. That's one way. The other way is to make a new rule entirely that's not in the Bible, and then make that a requirement for everybody else. But we tend to do this. I read, you know, in preparation for this message uh, about an investigation done by the, the law enforcement in New York City, this was in 2013. They arrested five men in Brooklyn for selling drugs. Uh, and they called their, their sting operation after sundown because it appears that the five men selling drugs in Brooklyn were, were, were Jewish and they were very strict about not selling drugs on the Sabbath. <laughs> in fact, as part of the investigation, they gathered the cell phone you know, text messages and, and the chat and all the communication was, okay, if you need your stuff, get it before the start of Sabbath. And once the Sabbath, you can't get your stuff until after the Sabbath ends after 8:45, right? And we laugh, right? But that, that's, that's the legalism. So here we have. I can observe the Sabbath and sell drugs. How, how does that happen? How do you get that disconnect? Right? So I am scrupulous in, a, in observing these commands and this ceremony and yet my heart is not changed right nothing has changed with my heart and Paul says that's the danger you you get caught up in following this in keeping this in keeping this you're missing the real issue because you can do all things, and in the end, you, you can pat yourself on the back. And when you do that, what are you doing? You're giving into pride, and you're farther and farther away from, from a changed heart. What about asceticism? You know, I'm thinking about our culture today. Are we are we really into asceticism? Are we really into denying ourselves? Seems to me we were more of an indulgent culture, right? Why deny yourself? I mean, go for it. You, you need all the pleasure you can get, just go for it. Don't let anybody tell you differently. But then I was reading. You know, this is about a place in, the, in Desert Hot Springs, a place even where movie stars have been known to frequent. And you can go there specifically to, to fast. And they'll serve... Uh, apple-celery cocktails, herbal teas, laxatives, bee pollen, blended soups, water mixed with squeezed lemons, Celtic sea salt, and honey. So you go out to this place and you fast. You, you take these other minerals and elements, right? Why? So that you can get in touch with, with your spiritual side. Now, there's, there's something here that sounds plausible, right? Right? It sounds good. And and the Bible does talk about fasting. Jesus fasted. Why would we fast? Again, it's 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 really important to keep this straight, right? You fast so as attend, you know to draw your attention more, more to God, or to add intensity to your prayers, to add focus to your prayers in connecting with God. But very easily, very subtly, because of who we are, we end up becoming obsessed with the practice itself. Churches. Well, actually, I was thinking of monastic orders. You know, in church history, uh, what what did the monks do? Many of the monks had were, were rather severe orders. We commit to a life of poverty. We commit to sleeping on hard beds. We commit to eating only cold food, right, that we might draw closer to Christ. And and Martin Luther says, you know, he was a monk. He says, if anyone ever could be saved by monkery, it was me. He says, I I fasted so much that my belly button met my backbone, right? And and what do we know from the study of, of monks and monasteries? It's like, you can seclude yourself, you can go away, you can sleep on a hard bed, you can eat cold food, you can be so strict with yourself, but you can still miss the point. You're still, you haven't addressed your heart. And in fact, that was one of the criticisms of the reformers. You know, you're not showing love to your neighbor. You you have the same vices as everybody else, even in, in your cloistered walls. And then there are churches today. I think we're pretty good at defining life by what we don't do. I was reading in preparation for this a sermon by, by John Piper, Bethlehem Baptist Church, Minneapolis. And actually, when he preached on this passage, he was... Uh, persuading his church to change their bylaws. Because like many Baptist churches, they had a bylaw that said, if you are going to be a member of this church, you absolutely cannot have a drop of alcohol. I think that's pretty common in in Baptist churches. No, 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 not not a drop of wine or anything else. You cannot, you must refrain, you must abstain from alcohol. Now, is there wisdom in that? Many lives have been ruined by alcohol, right? But But should it be a rule for everyone in the church? And as part of his message, he, he shared a letter from his father, who was also a pastor and evangelist, and his father said, you know what, when I was a young preacher, I cut my eye teeth on the, on the, the, the big five, Right? No dancing, no gambling, no theater, no drinking, no smoking. He says, growing up as a boy, I heard all kinds of sermons about, no, don't do this, don't do this. You know, but I hardly ever heard a sermon about you know, no pride or no greed or covetousness. No, it was the big five. If, as long as you don't do these things, well, well, then you're good. You have the fullness. Right? We do it. Right? We, we find that in church. And there's, again, wisdom here. Some of you have no business drinking alcohol. Right? But should it be a rule for every single person? Right? Paul's point is you can avoid these things and still miss Christ. You know, what's worse, being an alcoholic or being full of pride? Right, again, with these rules, we tend to judge. With these rules, suddenly we become ob- obsessed with ourselves and our own performance, and that tends to pride. And Paul's point is, when you're full of pride, you're cut off from, from Christ. The only way you can grow is by maintaining and holding fast to Jesus Christ. These things look like they work. But in the end, they actually lead you farther away because you end up more full of pride and you end up congratulating yourself. Watch out. And what about mysticism? I actually think this is one we're more susceptible to. Um, Turn on TV, you can even hear a preacher. You know, and maybe he's even in a suit, right? Actually, we have rules about how to dress, right, you know? if you're really gonna preach a Christ-exalting sermon, you need to be in a suit, right? I know that's not the way. Someone said that right when I came in, right? Oh, you know, you don't really need to Yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> there are some who would say, no, what I really need is a robe, right? I'm not doing it right. I'm not in a robe. And I can, I can appear authentic, but there are plenty of people who will say, you know what? I had this amazing vision, I had this amazing vision. God told me, I had this amazing experience, you won't believe it. You know, and if, and if you just write to me, or, or send to me, or come to my conference, I can enable you to have an amazing vision as well. Okay, it, it's wonderful, you know, you may be an ordinary Christian, but there's something more that you need. You need this experience. You need the experience of the angels. And we, you know, maybe I do need that, right? Do I? So what do we do? How do we fight, right? How do we prevent ourselves from being led astray? Now, let me tell you a story. You know, we're actually a lot closer, you know, I live in Artesia. We're a lot closer to a place that's very special to me and to a lot of middle-aged men. And it's the Roger Dunn Golf Superstore. Okay. Apologies to ladies and for those who don't golf. I know, I know, I know. But you have to know there, there's something about golf. There's something about equipment. Uh, and I am a little bit strange in that I play vintage golf clubs. I, my irons are from 1962. Uh, I play persimmon. I came across a, a golf pro who said, you know, you should play these. They're just as good. They, they force you to learn. And he set them up for me, you know, for, for me. And I, and I really enjoy them. But here's the thing. Golf is difficult. Golf is hard. The ball doesn't always go where you want. And you know what the golf club manufacturers are always saying? You know what you really need? You need new clubs. There's new technology. There's, there, you'll hit the ball farther than ever. You'll always hit the ball farther, farther, farther. You'll hit it in the next fairway, but it's, you'll hit it farther. And so you go to Roger Dunn, and it's, it's all bright and shiny things. You can buy a driver for like 350 bucks. You can buy a set of clubs for $1,000. We're talking big money. It's a hall of temptation for middle-aged men, right? <laughs> but when I go there, I, I can go there and-, and succeed without buying anything. Why? Because I'm-, I'm happy with what I have. And I have people tell me, you know what? If you bought new clubs, you could play. Just imagine how much better you could No, 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 no. I enjoy the game, I'm, I'm happy with what I have, I don't need anything new. And the point, really, of the whole book of Colossians, is saying, you know, how do you fend off these false teachings? You fend them off by being fully and completely satisfied with Jesus Christ. You don't need anything extra in addition to Jesus Christ. Don't let anyone come along and offer you something else that's going to rob you of what is already yours in Jesus Christ. You have everything you need in him. Jesus and only Jesus. Verse 17, right? He says, look at these ceremonies. What are are these ceremonies? He says, these are shadows, they're shadows. The substance, the reality, literally the body, is Christ. Name some Old Testament ceremonies. Passover. What's Passover about? Passover is about deliverance, God's deliverance. And, and what did Jesus say when he celebrated the Last Supper? This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Passover is about me. Deliverance, spiritual deliverance. You find it in me. Sabbath. Sabbath. I mean, there are lots of commands about the Sabbath. It was very important. But what is the Sabbath about? Rest. Rest in God. But where do you find true rest? Do you find it in your observances of the day? No, the message of the New Testament is no, you find true and lasting rest in Jesus Christ. He is the substance, He is the reality. When we read about the temple in the Old Testament. What's the temple about? How do you approach God? How do you present a sacrifice to God? How do you communicate with God? And what does the New Testament say? Jesus says, you know, destroy this temple, I'll rebuild it in three days. You wanna know how to approach God? You wanna know how to draw near to God? You come to God through me. In actuality, the whole book of Hebrews can fit in verse 17. Right, these things are a shadow, but the reality, the substance, is in Jesus Christ. Why would you settle for anything less? Right Through Jesus Christ, you may draw near to the throne of grace and find help in your time of need. All you need is Jesus. He is the substance and what is real, not these other ceremonies. In my own church, we've been looking at the life of Moses Jews are devoted to Moses, the teaching of Moses. Very interesting in the book of John. He says, If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Moses was writing about me. I'm the substance, I'm the reality. What did Jesus say on the road to Emmaus you know, after his resurrection? Two discouraged disciples came to him. And he was well, why are you guys so sad? Well, we thought this guy would be the Messiah, then it didn't turn out to be like that. And what does the scripture say? It says he began to show them that all the law and the prophets testify concerning me, that I am the reality of everything that you find in the Old Testament. All the ceremonies, the command, they're, they're pointing to me. Even circumcision, I think that came up last week one of the symbols or the signs of circumcision is is that you really are to have a tender, submissive heart. That's the goal. That's the point. To have a submissive heart to God, before God. So, and, and in Paul and other places, why would you want to cut your flesh? Right, the real point is that you would have a submissive heart, and that only comes through Jesus Christ. He's the substance. He's the reality. Don't go back to the shadows. I noticed it's a cloudy day today. I like kind of June gloom mornings. I guess it's August. But if it were bright sun like it has been most of the days this week and I were to stand outside and you were to come to meet me and you were to become obsessed with my shadow, maybe try and hug my shadow instead of me, you'd think, well, what's wrong with this guy? Right? You do not obsess with the shadows The shadows point to a reality, and the reality is Jesus Christ. Remember that. You wanna be spiritually alive. You think that by refraining from things will draw you deeper into the spiritual life. What did Christ say? You know, how do you really get life? I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the very definition of life. You want life. I get it. Yes, find it in me. And what are these things we're talking about? A lot of times we're talking about food, drink. What are these things? These are created things. Paul says these these are passing things. We're we're talking about eternal realities, being full eternally. Well, well, are you going to find it by obsessing over created things? And after all, who is in fact the creator Colossians 1, all things were created by him and for him and through him and all things are sustained by him. You already have the creator in Jesus Christ. Why would you get so consumed with these created things? You want revelation, right? You want a deeper knowledge, deeper wisdom. You want to be party to the secrets of the heavens, and this is, the ancient teaching was called Gnosticism, which is, means knowledge. There's this secret knowledge you must have. But you know what? You already have all the revelation and more you need in Jesus Christ. Right? You, you want to listen to somebody who claims that they've been to heaven and had an experience with angels? You already have a connection to the person who commands angels and tells them what to do. You have a connection to the person who receives the worship of angels. Why would you become obsessed with angels? You you want revelation, wisdom from God, a special word. Hebrews 1 says, In these last days God has spoken to us through his Son. He is the fullness of God's revelation. Jesus says, I speak of what I have seen with my Father. I've come from God and I've come from heaven I'm higher than any other being. What more revelation could you want? I'm one with the Father. I come from heaven. Listen to me. These words are not my words. If these things were not so, I would have told you. And these people were judging one another. I think Paul would say, well, who is the ultimate judge? Don't let anybody else sit in judgment over you. God has appointed Christ as the judge of all things what do you need forgiveness you have that in him you need acceptance from the father you have that in him you need hope for the future you have that in him you need power for the present you have that in him in fact Paul says that you died with him, you rose with him, you are linked to him. Actually earlier he says, the whole point wonderful mystery of the gospel is Christ in you the hope of glory. You have him. You have him. Don't let anyone take him away. In him you have all you need. He talks about the elemental spirits. What are those? Well, maybe that's kind of this Greek idea of there being other powers that you know, kind of control the world. Should we please them? You know, is Jesus a slave to these powers? Is Jesus underneath these powers? No. No, he's demonstrated victory over the powers. Why would you worry about submitting yourself to other lesser powers? You have Jesus Christ. Why are we so susceptible to, to these things, to giving into legalism or maybe really thinking that you know, massive self-discipline is what's gonna take for us to, to, you know, to have more fullness or visions? You know, why, what is the lure? As I thought about this, I thought, you know what the reason is? Right, why do we always have this, this, this lingering thought that you know what, okay, I have Jesus, which is good, it's great, but, but there's, there's got to be something. Is there something more? Do I need something more? I bet there's something more. He says I need something more. She says I need something more. Why do we give in to that? Why do, are we tempted by that? My answer is because life is hard. Life is difficult. You have challenges, you have discomfort, you have relationship challenges, work challenges. Right? And, and because life is difficult, sometimes you, you ask, my, my life isn't going right. You know, I'm, I'm following Jesus Christ, and, and my life isn't going the way I think it should be going. Maybe there is something more that I still need. And again, this is where I, I appreciate Paul, because on the one hand, if you look in, in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, you know, if he wanted to go on and on about heavenly visions, he could have. When you read that book, you realize, okay, you know, you guys twisted my arm. I know this guy, and later we find out, yeah, it's Paul. Uh, I was caught up into the heavens. I don't even know which level, but I saw the most beautiful things. And, And when you read the gospel, when you read Colossians, Paul doesn't go on and on and on about his visions. He says, actually, a thorn was given me in the flesh to keep me from being too conceited. It's not about the visions, the visions, the visions, the visions. Right, it's about Jesus Christ knowing who he is and what he has done and trusting him so that you have this vital connection to him, so that you hold fast to him because he is the only way that you are going to grow. And Paul, at the same time, right, it's amazing. He speaks so gloriously about Jesus Christ. And probably more glorious here in Colossians than any other book of the Bible, right? The fullness. You have the fullness in Jesus Christ. And someone may think, well, that sounds awesome. But then at the same time, Paul, look at your life. I'm suffering. I've been stoned. I've been shipwrecked. I've been hungry. I've, I've been in want. I've experienced all these manner of difficulties, and you will too. In fact, once you start become you become a Christian, you may get new difficulties added to your old difficulties. There are more challenges, right? And because of that, because it's hard, we think, oh, there, there must maybe there's something more that I need. Oh yeah, that sounds good. No, 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 right? It's Jesus Christ, Jesus. And only Jesus. And, and ultimately, it's by faith. Right? We walk by faith. That because of Jesus' death and resurrection, he is who the Bible says he is, he is who he says he is. And he is the one that you need. What's your temptation? You know, where do you struggle? Do you tend towards legalism and kind of crafting rules for yourself and thinking that other people should be following those rules? I think maybe sometimes certain personalities tend towards that. I think I do. Or maybe you've, you've been listening to somebody who says, you know what, you need a good cleanse right now. Right? And, and, and here is the tricky part, right? There is some value Fasting once in a while, even for physical health, there's value there. Fasting, you know, to add intensity to your prayer, there's value there. But you cannot confuse the practice with the goal, the end, and should always bring you to Jesus Christ. Or maybe you've been watching TV, found somebody on YouTube who's been going on about their, their awesome, amazing spiritual experiences very tempting there's a tug there no everything you need for life and death and godliness is found in Jesus Christ these other things they don't deliver what they promise right? Jesus says remain in me abide in me hold fast to me he is all you need Now you're going to learn more next week about what that looks like. But that is Paul's point. Jesus is all you need. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we bless you. We worship you for the gift that is Jesus Christ. Jesus we we can hardly conceive your glory that all the fullness is yours you are Lord and master and you forgive and you draw us into yourself you give us a share of your life Lord, would you forgive us The times in which we've resorted to self-religion. We want to do things ourselves. We want to make things rules for ourselves. We've lost the way. Lord, bring us back to yourself. Bring us back to full confidence and trust in Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us to be strong when we hear different thoughts and different opinions. Even this day, Lord, would you give us a deeper joy, a deeper rest in you, Jesus, and in what you've done for us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.